Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 190. We're in the book of Matthew. We're in uh, chapter 26. But before we get started there, I wanted to go back to chapter 25 to the parable of the talents and starts in verse 14. I wanted to elaborate on something. I forgot to do it yesterday. And this is where the rich man is about to go on a journey and he pulls aside three of his servants. He gives one five talents with the other two talents and the other one talent and, uh, and, and, and commissions them to watch over his resources while he's gone. And, um, you know, we all have three T's. We're all granted the three T's, right? So we all get time. We all get talents and we all get treasure. And so time as in the amount of years we have on this earth, you know, our talents, our skills and abilities, and then our treasures, our financial resources. And so we're, we're, we're all given these three things. And so what God is looking at and watching over on with regard to us is how do we steward these things? How do we steward our time? How do we steward our talents and abilities? How do we steward our money? You know, how do we, how do we manage these things? Um, and, and, and do we manage them in a way that is for the growth of the kingdom of God? Do, do we give over our time, our talents, and our resources in order to expand the kingdom of God, to bring people into the knowledge of Christ? And so we're all given these things, and we all do with them as we see fit. The issue is, do we see from the same perspective and have similar objectives that God has for us? And I believe that we're going to be measured on that, that we're going to, in fact, be judged on that. And so I just wanted to, to get that out there because I forgot to uh, do that yesterday. And so with that, let's get on to chapter 26. And it says, <clears throat> the plot to kill Jesus. And so Jesus is explaining to his disciples that, you know, the Passover is coming and I'm about to get handed over to these scoundrels. And so be prepared. And it says the chief priests, the elders um, of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest who was named Caiaphas. And they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. They, they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way, not just arrest him, but in a treacherous way. This is what they planned on doing. And so we see that uh, the scribes and the chief priests and everybody, they wanted to get rid of Jesus because he was messing them up. He was messing with their money. He was messing with their prestige. He was turning the people against them. We got to get rid of this dude. And then it says, um, uh, the anointing at Bethany. And it says, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste? This might have been sold for a great deal of money and given to the poor. And so that sounds like a good idea, assuming that they were saying this sincerely. And, uh, you know, she's wasting money. We could use these resources and give it to the poor because they knew that Jesus, because of his previous parables, were very concerned about the poor and the downtrodden. You know, he had just told them that when you take care of one of these, you, you're taking care of me. So from the disciples perspective, it's like, hey, we need to take care of the poor. But Jesus says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor. Uh, you always have the poor with you, but do you, you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. 
That had to be an interesting thought. <laughs> if you were a disciple, what would you be thinking? Jesus is saying, she's preparing me for burial. He says, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And we can say that this is true because even those who do not understand what's in the word, who don't know what's in the Bible, who don't understand the New Testament, don't understand the gospel, even they have heard of the woman pouring expensive perfume on Jesus. In verse 14, then one of the 12, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? you know, what, am I, what are you willing to give me if I give you Jesus? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him, and, 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 and uh, this is presented as not really a large sum of money. <laughs> and so they give him, they give him a, you know, a token payment, ba basically. And from that time, he started looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Betrayal at the Passover. And so Jesus uh, sends his disciples in to find a place where they can eat the Passover meal. So he says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. And so again, so Jesus is saying here, my time is near. So imagine if you're a disciple, they're hearing things like my burial. They're hearing Jesus say things like my time is near. You know, is this registering with them with what's about to happen? He's already told them what's going to happen point blank without a parable, but I just wonder if this is registering with them. In verse 20, it says, when evening came, he was reclining at the table with the 12. While they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And so everybody going around the table, you know, they're eating a meal and they're all <laughs> going around the table, you know, uh, making a, a denial, not me, not me, not me, not me. He replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl will betray me. The son of man will, uh, will go just as, it is, just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, the betrayer, replied, surely not I, rabbi. And Jesus said, you have said it. And so, Again, I'm wondering if I'm sitting at the table and I heard this, would I have gotten any indication that he's pointing out Judas? Probably not, because apparently nobody did. So maybe they didn't hear what he said, or maybe what he said didn't register with regard to what he was really saying. I don't know. Then it says uh, the first Lord's Supper. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, um, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Now, for those that are familiar with uh, uh, Christian tradition and ceremonies, this is the communion, right? We take communion in order to identify with the body and the blood of Jesus. And so it says, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and, and giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so there's wine in this cup, okay? And so they're, they're eating and they're drinking wine. That's what they're doing. And so Jesus is, gave, gave uh, broken bread, giving them bread, saying, this is my body, and then passed the cup around and said, this is the blood of my covenant. 
you know, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I'm sure that none of them understands what this means at this point. Verse 29, Jesus says, but I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you uh, in my father's kingdom. So he says, I'm not going to celebrate with you anymore with wine until we are in my father's kingdom. Then we will celebrate. He says in verse 30, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so they ate, they drank, they had communion. He's telling them what's going on, and then they cap it off by singing. That's awesome. <laughs> Peter's denial predicted, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, tonight all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And so he's telling them what's going to happen because it is written. In other words, because it is, because it is written, nothing else can happen. What is written has to happen. So this is why this is going to happen. Verse 32, he says, But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. I am convinced, because I didn't really pay attention to this, that when he's saying this, the disciples are not comprehending what he's saying right here. He's saying, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you. I think all they can hear and all they're comprehending is him telling them how he's going to die and how they're going to flee. They're not paying attention to when he says, but after I have risen. I know I probably wouldn't have either. Verse 33 says, Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. See, Peter's not listening, right? Jesus has already said, because it is written, this must happen. And Peter is saying, no, it's not going to happen because I'm not going to run away. <laughs> Verse 32, he says, truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, talking to Peter, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter responds, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Like, yeah, Peter, you're right. We aren't going to abandon our Lord. No, no, no. There's no way we're going to flee. There's no way we're going to run. Prayer in the garden. Then Jesus came with them uh, to a place called Gethsemane and told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter uh, with the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, he began, to, uh, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. That's very deep grieving. And then he tells them, remain here and stay awake with me. So he's telling them how despondent he is. And uh, you know, a lot of times, like for instance, uh, when somebody dies uh, of somebody that I know, um, a lot in these situations, I, I never know what to say, but I do know this. I do know by being in their presence, even if I say nothing, that it helps them. And so I just try to be available, just be present when somebody is hurting. You don't have to have, you know, a deep wisdom to impart into them or to say anything. Just being present um, brings a sense of uh, care and concern and, and soothing to that person that is grieving. And so Jesus says, remain here and stay awake with me. 
You know, help me out. Stay awake with me. Going a little further, Jesus fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And so you see, Jesus, he is, he is in deep grief because he knows what's about to happen. And he's saying, Father, if it's possible, take this away from me. We can see that Jesus in his, in his uh, humanity doesn't want to do this. But he says, but no, not as my will is, as your will is, Lord. Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? <clears throat> so we see that Jesus was praying for an hour, right? He says, stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so what this points out to me is that our spirits are a lot more resilient and powerful than even we recognize. So Jesus is pointing out to them that your spirit is really willing and it's able and it's powerful, but your flesh is weak. Your flesh is like uh, keeping it under wraps, keeping it controlled, keeping it constrained, keeping it restrained. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So we see a second time Jesus is going back. It's like, father, Oh, man, do I really need to do this? But your will be done, Father. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time. So you see, Jesus went away and prayed three times about what was about to happen. You know, so we can see in his humanity, he is deeply struggling. I mean, he is in a deep, 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 struggle, you know, because he knows physically what's going to happen, but he knows what his responsibility and his obligation is. And he's struggling with that. Have you ever been in that situation? I've been in that situation numerous times, but I can't say obviously to the depths that Jesus is going through, nowhere near these kind of depths, but still there's a struggle. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? So they fell asleep for a third time. <laughs> see, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Judas's betrayal of Jesus. While he was still speaking, Jesus, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. So they're coming in right on the heels of Jesus going through this deep, uh, a struggle and prayer and petition with the Father. And so we can imagine he's probably up there three, four hours on the Mount of Olives with, with Peter, James, and John. And so, and so right, on the, right on the heels of that, right on the tail of that, here, come, here comes his betrayer. A large mob, with, a large mob uh, with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign, the one I kiss, He's the one, arrest him. So Judas tells the crowd, the one I kissed, that's Jesus. So apparently they didn't know who Jesus was or what he looked like, but he had been all around. So I don't know. Well, I guess not everybody knew. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. So Jesus responds in verse 50. He says, friend, why have you come? <laughs> so is Jesus taking a dig at Judas? So Judas has just told the mob, the one who I go up and kiss, that's the one, 
that's the one you're going to grab. So he goes up to Jesus, kisses him, and Jesus responds by saying, friend, why have you come? He knows why he's come, but he's calling him friend. (laughs) Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. Um, He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ears. Uh, cut off his ear. Now we know in subsequent uh, uh, gospels that we'll get to that this was Peter. So Peter takes out a sword and cuts off the ear. Verse 52, then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place. I don't know exactly what this means because all who take up the sword were perished by the sword. I'm not sure who or what Jesus is referring to in this. Okay, because there are many times in the word and in, even in the New Testament where, um, you know, the word is, you know, it's justifiable with regard to things like self-defense and, and that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, and in the Old Testament, God would send the Israel, uh, Israelites out to conquer territories. And so obviously they had to take up their source. So I'm not exactly sure uh, what that means. But anyway, in verse 53, he says, or do you think excuse me, or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? Now, this is what this tells me. This tells me that if Jesus had called on the father, the father will have, would have in fact responded with 12 legions of angels and gotten Jesus out of that situation. Jesus could have opted out of his obligation and it would have been successful, but that's not what was written. And Jesus knew what he had to do, but he still had to make the decision to do it. He wasn't forced to do it. He made a decision out of obligation. He was obedient. He was obedient to his call, but he could have opted out, but he didn't. He could have opted out and made a different decision at this moment in time, but he didn't. He opted in. I must do what I must do. I must be obedient to my call and my mission. Verse 54. How then would the scriptures be fulfilled uh, that say it must happen this way? And so Jesus is, is saying, look, you're telling Peter, look, put your sword away. Because my father, I could call on him. He could send 12 legions of angels. I could get out of the situation. But then the scriptures wouldn't be fulfilled. See, it has to happen this way for the scriptures to be fulfilled. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I sit, I used to sit teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me. He says, I, I haven't been hiding. I've been here all the time. You could have arrested me at any time, but you didn't. Why now? But all of this happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. So Jesus is saying, look, I haven't been hiding. I've been teaching in the synagogues. I've been, I've been around. You could have arrested me any time, but you didn't. But you're coming here now. Why are you doing this? I'll tell you why you're doing this, because this is the way it's written because this is what's supposed to happen, because this is what the prophets prophesied hundreds of years ago. You're fulfilling prophecy. You don't know it, but that's what you're doing. That's why it has to go down this way. And so he tells them this, and then all his disciples flee. 
Jesus faces the Sanhedrin, which is a council, religious council. And he says, those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter was following them at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. So everybody else had ran away. Peter ran away, but he stayed within uh, a shouting distance. He stayed so that he could see where they were going and what they were doing. But he kept at a distance. Then it says in verse 59, it says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false, false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward, stated, this man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Now, they're thinking about the temple, the Jewish temple. You know, when Jesus said this, he was talking about his body. (laughs) He's saying, you can destroy, you're going to destroy this temple, my body, but it's going to be rebuilt in three days. I'm going to rise again. They didn't understand it, of course. It says, the high priest stood up and said to him, don't you have an answer? Uh, to what these men are testifying against you. But Jesus kept quiet. Now here's, you know, Jesus' self-control is remarkable. And so many of us, you know, when we're falsely accused or whatever, we'll start going off, get angry, maybe start yelling and screaming. Jesus said nothing. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. (laughs) So he said, I charge you by your father. (laughs) I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Now, how did he get to this? Because this isn't what the two men said. The two men said that he said that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. But the high priest says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Then he says in verse 64, Jesus says, you have said it. Then he goes on. But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Oh, my goodness. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. So he asked his counsel. He says, what is your decision? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us. Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who is that who hit you? So they're mocking him, spitting on him in his face, beating him, you know, and mocking him with words. Who is that who hit you, Messiah? Peter denies his Lord in verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, you were with Jesus the Galilean, weren't you? But he denied it in front of everybody. Another abject lesson here. In public, she's saying, you're one of those Jesus followers, right? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. How often do we who claim to believe in Jesus do the same thing, either with words or with deeds? See, we deny him because the pressure from the public, the pressure from the culture, we deem it to be too great. And so what happens is we succumb. We bend. We bend. We don't want to be one of those Jesus freaks. We don't want to, you know, mm -mm, no, 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 no. 
No, no, no. I'm, I'm still down. I'm still cool. You know, no, I'm not, I'm not crazy like them. So we deny it. When he had gone out to the gateway, he being Peter, another woman saw him and told those who, who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. So, and so Peter ratcheted it up the second time. He said, no, I'm not one of them. So this time he's like emphatic, you know, is it with an oath, with an oath? No, heck no. I'm not with this man. I don't know this guy. What are you talking about? So now he's getting a little indignant about it. Right? Verse 73. After a little while, those standing there approached uh, and said to Peter, you really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Now what does Peter do? Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. Now he's really, really upset. He curses and he swears with an oath. I don't know the man. Every time he amped it up. Immediately after he did this the third time, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went outside of everybody's presence and wept bitterly because he knew he had failed. He said that he would die with the Lord and words got to him. He didn't close, he didn't come close to dying with the Lord. He fleed and he wept bitterly. Now I'm not, I ain't mad at Peter because there's no way I can sit here and proclaim that I would have done differently. He was faced with the moment of truth, and then he failed. But I have to believe that was also a moment of empowerment for Peter. Because Peter would come back. Peter would come back strong. And with that, we are done uh, with chapter 26. And we will, yeah, we will finish up the book of Matthew tomorrow with chapters 27 and 28. And so Always realize that the message is near you. It's always near you, the message of Jesus. It is in your heart and it is in your mouth. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart a sincere confession and a sincere belief that Jesus is Lord. And the word says that you will not be put to shame and that you will be saved. That's an awesome, awesome, awesome covenant. If you haven't done so, think about it. And make the right decision for you and for those in your sphere of influence. Because it's not just about you. It's not just about you. And with that, we are done. Everybody take care, stay safe, be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he not come tonight... Or any time between tonight or today and tomorrow, we will see you tomorrow in episode 191. Bye-bye.